first passage is Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verses 12 to 15, and can be found on page 184 of your church Bibles. Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and starting at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you should not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And our second passage is Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44 and can be found on page 1009 of your church Bibles. So, Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five, and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken, fishes, of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Thanks, Rachel, for leading us in prayer and reading. Let me pray for us as we come to look at these words from the Bible. The psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul. And Heavenly Father, we ask that as we come to listen to your words uh, now to 
ponder on it, uh, to think it through, you would give us those same convictions that the words we have in the Bible are perfect, perfectly good, perfectly true, and will do us good and refresh us as we hear them and believe them and order our lives around them. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, um, you know if you were with us last week, we're doing through kind of September, the rest of September, a little series on stewardship. And tonight we're thinking about time and our, our time and our rest. Last week we thought about gifts and abilities. Tonight it's time and rest. And during the week I read an article by a man called Oliver Berkman. He's a, a journalist, writes sometimes for the BBC uh, and other news outlets. And, and he says this, that few facts in modern life seem more indisputable than how busy everyone seems to be. Across the West, large numbers tell researchers they're overburdened with work at the expense of time and fa- at the expense of time with family and friends. But just as we begin, I don't know what you make of that, but why not have a moment just to chat to somebody sitting beside you? Do you agree with that? Is that what modern life feels like? Does it feel overburdened and busy? Do you feel busy at work with social stuff? Just have a moment uh, and have a chat with somebody sitting beside you. Let me break in. Let me break into your conversations there. Um, let me break into those conversations. Obviously, because uh, we don't have enough time uh, to talk any longer because we're a bit too busy tonight. It's one of those things, isn't it? I think British people. For those of you who are not British, when you ask a British person uh, how are you, I think two kind of answers you'll get a standard. One is I'm fine, uh, and the other is I'm a bit busy. Uh, those th- kind of things is standard. Look, as we get into this. I just kind of sideways into, I think undoubtedly one of the great film characters of the 20th century has got to be Indiana Jones. Um, do you remember him? I mean, it's quite old, the films now. Uh, if you've seen any of those kind of films, the third one, uh, which is Indiana Jones, oh, what's it called? And the, it, the Last Crusade, that's it. I can't even remember the title. It was that great a film. I don't even know the title. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusades. If you've seen the film, they're, they're searching for the Holy Grail. They're always searching for something like that. 
And towards the end of the film, that's where this scene is from, if you can make it out. They, they found it. It's just down there. It's the kind of shiny object that looks like it's got a light bulb in the middle of it. They found it, but it's slipping away, and, and Indiana Jones is, is hanging off a chasm, and his dad's holding him by his hand. And our, our hero says, I can almost reach it. I can almost reach it. And his dad, who's holding him, says, let it go. And this is years before Elsa and Frozen even came out, so you know where they got it from. He doesn't start singing it, but he, he says, let it go. And Indiana says, I can reach it. I can reach it. And then the voice says, Indiana, Indiana, let it go. And he does, and his dad uh, pulls him back up. But you get the sense of that feeling, something that you want. I'm just reaching for. I can almost get it. And then someone telling you, you, you can't have it. You need to let it go and abandoning that and coming back. And that feeling of being restricted, being pulled back from something, something that you really want. Although that's a bit of a, sideway, a sideways uh, entrance into this. But I wonder what you made of that first reading that we had from Deuteronomy, where you hear these words written, hundreds and hundreds of years ago to the the people of Israel, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. On it you shall not do any work. Someone telling you with your activity that you need to let it go. It stops. And and it fits with the, the Bible's view that even time and rest don't really belong to us. If you read the Bible, if you begin at Genesis, you, you see that God, as he, as he creates a world, he creates it with a structure. There's a working week, uh, six days of work and one day of rest. People, you and me, are put into that. It wasn't our idea. We didn't invent it. No, even time and rest belong to God, and he puts us into it. And that means, at best, we are stewards of those things. Even time and rest come to us as a gift a gift for which we will be responsible and accountable for. And I think when we hear that, we often want to push back against it. David Goodhart, in a a a relatively recent book, Road to Somewhere, talks about, I think, people like us, uh, people in our culture and society. And he says, three of the things we value are autonomy, mobility, and novelty. I don't like being told what to do. I want to be able to go where I want, and I like new things. I, I like doing my own stuff. And so even as Christians, when you hear this idea, you stop your work. I think we want to push back and say, well, let's not be legalistic. We don't want Puritan rules curtailing our freedom. But at that point, the Bible sort of comes at us from left field because it says, look, God is not curtailing our freedom. His design is to protect it. So you read on in Deuteronomy and you hear these words, remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord our God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Remember you were slaves. Uh, Therefore, keep the Sabbath. How about that? You think about this day, this Sunday, this hour you've got here, the way it imposes on your week in some ways restricts you from doing other things, TV programs you might miss, time with friends you're not doing just now, and you're here. Just think about what the Bible is saying. The way this hour, this day, imposes on your week that limits you, 
may be one of the things that ensures that you do find freedom in life. There's a weird thought, that this day might be the thing that helps you find freedom. And as you read the Bible, you, you keep finding the Bible keeps making a play for our time. At that reading of Mark that we'll come back to in just a moment, in verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples, come away with me and get some rest. He's making a play for their time. And I think we know time's important. Many of us feel super busy. I I don't need to listen in on your conversations. I guess it would have been a rare thing uh, for any of you to be saying, I'm not really that busy. And that article by Oliver Berkman uh, that I mentioned earlier, he goes on to say, look, historically... The ultimate symbol of wealth, achievement, and social superiority was the freedom not to work. That's how it used to be in the past. But now, it's busyness. And you hear what he's saying. Uh, People are using activity to try and feel significant. When I was at school a long uh, time ago, back in the Back in the 1980s at secondary school, we used to see all these programs and read textbooks that would say, in the future, in the future, technology will give us more leisure time. All the advancements. There used to be a program on the television back in the 70s and 80s called Tomorrow's World, and you'd see, you'd see amazing things. You'd see computers that you could connect to a telephone, and it would be able to connect with somebody else. You'd see phones about this size that you could walk around with. Technology in the future... It was going to give us so much uh, leisure time. I was always pondering about that. What would we do? We'd just be sitting around all day. But that's the way it would said. But it it doesn't feel like that, does it? Uh, This is the future now. Uh, This is the future we're living in. But it doesn't always feel for us like we've got lots of leisure time. And you know part of the reason, because technology designed to give freedom to work anywhere and any time, is tempting us now to work everywhere all the time. I asked this question to some folk earlier, but if I was to ask you to put your hand up, if over your holidays you weren't tempted to look at your work emails, how many would put their hands up? A couple, a couple. Well done, well done. But it's so tempting, isn't it? It's your work, even as you walk away from it. Emails are so accessible. I'll just, I'll just check it out for a moment. Well done, uh, well done if you didn't. And it doesn't stop at work. This kind of busyness mindset, another author, Tony Crabb, uh, he says, we now live in an infinite world. And that's a phrase to fire your imagination. comes to mind when you think of that. We live in an infinite world. I guess you know what he means. A thousand emails to respond to. What's your inbox like? Um, Some people manage to keep it under control. I've got a friend who told me the other week his, his email inbox had over like 4,000 emails in it. 2,500 of them were unread, uh, just out of control. But 1,000 emails to respond to. 1,000 TV shows that you can stream online. 1,000 pictures to browse on Instagram. It can just use up all your time. 1,000 people to keep up with online. We live in an infinite world. And the really tantalizing thing about having everything on offer is that you kind of believe you can have it all. But it's mathematically impossible. We're not infinite. And there's research to say it's affecting our work and reducing our compassion. Over-busy people, it seems, aren't always great to be around. Uh, The 
busy boss at work who starts being demanding with his staff, or, or the colleague who's online all night, whether it's gaming or just on YouTube, who is useless at work the next day, miserable to be around. Or maybe you become the kind of narky person on Twitter who's always firing off all sorts of comments. It seems even Taylor Swift's worried about our compassion and our busyness. Uh, she says this in one of her recent songs. Say on the street, it's a knockout. Say in a tweet, it's a cop-out. You need to calm down, you're being too loud. Big Taylor Swift fans in the room, like me. But even Taylor Swift's concerned about it. It's not just Christians in church. Contemporary culture is noticing it. People are getting busy and narky all the time. So this time and rest business. So we do need to think about but what does it mean to be a good steward of our time? How do we handle this gift that God gives to us? Look, three things just to think about this evening. How, how to check for the wrong kind of busy. The key to controlling busyness. And some practical helps. Here's the first thing to think about then. Here's the first thing to keep in mind. Just pop it on. Make sure you're not living as a slave. Now, that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Make sure you're not living like a slave. The first reading we have from Deuteronomy is all about God's rescuing his people from Egypt and the, the pattern of, of work and rest that he gave them that kind of echoed uh, creation. And, and part of the reason God gave it is to say this to them, look, you pause one day, you pause your work to remember that you used to be slaves, but you're not slaves any longer. And my son, Jack, I, I asked him over breakfast during the week, who is it that works all the time? And he's only seven but he got it. He said, it's slaves do that. Slaves are the ones who work all the time. Their work's never finished, and their taskmaster has no compassion. Now, what's strange about the command God gives in the Old Testament is that his people aren't slaves anymore. They've been rescued from that. So, so why the command? Why the need for the command? Well, I guess in part it's because God knows there's a deeper problem. You and I, we're people who've been made to have our lives filled and to be filled with knowing the God who's infinite. But because we turn from him, we try and fill life in other ways. And one of those ways is with our busyness. So the, the Bible says, look, if you're someone who, who struggles to give boundaries, if you're someone who struggles to give boundaries to work and other activities, if things are always spilling over all the time in ways you don't want it to. If you're someone who's not just saying, I'm busy and that's all right, I'm enjoying the things I'm doing, but I'm, I'm busy and I'm slightly resentful of it and I can't control it, and it's going too far, the Bible would say, look, it's worth asking, who are you serving? Make sure you're not living like a slave. I've been trying to think through some of this this week, what are some of the reasons? And, and look, as I say this, look, some are busy in legitimate ways. Some of you, look, you work hard to provide for yourself and your family. Look, work is just busy at times. That's fine. Uh, we know that. Some people uh, in our church family are new parents. If you know any new parents, you know they're busy, especially new parents, all sorts of things going on. 
Some of you will have jobs like doctors. They're not the only ones, but you know jobs like that. There's times when it is just crazy busy, whether it's shifts or on calls or things you've just got to do. There's periods of life where it's just busy like that. But accepting those. Look, here's three other causes of busyness that lead to over-busyness I've been thinking about this week. And the first one is this, that is greed. I just want more. I want more money. I want more success. So we do more work. I want more experiences. I want more funds. So we, we pack all of our spare time. And because it's temporary, yet tantalizingly available, we just do a bit more. It's just an extra half hour. It's just an extra day. It's just an extra hour staying up late. We pack it all in. I'm over busy because I'm greedy. I want too much. Another reason I was thinking about is, is this one of anxiety. Harold Abrahams, he won the 100 meters gold back in the 1924 Paris Olympics. He's, he's depicted, his character is one of those depicted in the film Chariots of Fire. And there's a line where he talks about his running. And he describes it this way. He says, look, 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? I don't know if that's just a, a dramatic line in the film, but if it's, if it's any reflection of how he really felt, it's quite an honest one, isn't it? Ten lonely seconds to justify my existence, not just to win a race, not just to go for a medal, but to justify my existence. But, but will I? And it's the question in life, am I good enough? And what do I do if I feel I'm not And the answer is, well, look, get busy. Work harder. Parents who you know love you, but you feel they love you just a bit more when you're a success, so you're always active with schoolwork or career. And when you're not doing it, you're active worrying about it. You can think of other things, but I'm often over busy because... I'm anxious to prove myself. It's interesting in the film Chariots of Fire that the other main character in it is Eric Little, the Scottish sprinter who was, a, who was a, a Christian man and he refused to run on a Sunday. And in many ways, he's the one that seems constrained in life, constricted by his religious faith. And people are, are having a go at him through the film to forget about the Sunday, but When he describes his running, he says it like this. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I think when you compare the two, you think, which one sounds the one who's free and can enjoy life? Ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. When I run, I feel his pleasure. Uh, that sounds more like freedom. Sometimes we're over busy because we're, we're just anxious to prove ourselves. And the third one I've been thinking about this week is, is distraction. If there's difficult things in life. Maybe it's a season of married life that just feels particularly tough for you. Maybe it's loneliness. Perhaps it's another kind of disappointment. And the thinking comes, look, if I keep myself busy, I'll be distracted from it. And the feeling is there's gaps in life and we want to fill it with busyness, but it's an infinite gap and we don't have the resources, so we never stop. 
It is in part what the Bible means when it says we're slaves to sin. We're busy with the wrong things, trying to fill our lives with all sorts of things to cover over the gap, but we'll never do it. Slaves are, are always busy, but they never have enough time. Make sure you're not living like a slave. And the Bible would say to us, Christian, check yourself on this. So you begin to ask the question, well, how do I control business? What do I need to do? And I think part of the answer the Bible gives us very graciously is you can't do it. It's not about a new calendar. It's not really about organizing yourself in a different way. Busyness will keep spilling over in things. Now, what the Bible would say to us is, look, you need a savior with infinite resources. Now, come back to Mark with me. If you've got it there in front of you, this, this story of Jesus feeding all sorts of people, a huge crowd. Back in the Old Testament, God's people knew that the rescue from Egypt, it pointed to a bigger rescue, a rescue from sin. In that story, back in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God took his people through a wilderness and on the way, he taught them and he, he fed them. And here in Mark's gospel, Jesus is doing those same things. In verse 32 of our reading, when it says they went to a solitary place, it's, it's really the word for wilderness. Here we are, we're back in a wilderness again. And we're meant to see as we read this, look, this looks like the rescuing God of the Old Testament. He's doing all those same things that the rescuing God in the Old Testament did. And you see what he's doing in verse 31. He's calling exhausted people to come and rest. But then there's a maths problem. 5,000 men plus women and children are getting hungry and they're in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus says in verse 37 to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they say to him, that would take more than, a, uh, more than half a year's wages. I was never very good at maths, but you don't need to be good at maths to work that out. You don't need to be good at maths to know you can't keep spending resources like that. 200 days wages in a single day. It would exhaust you. It would exhaust you materially. It would exhaust you physically. It would exhaust you emotionally. But now just look at what Mark shows us about Jesus. See verse 34? You got it there in front of you? Mark says this, when Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. He's not exhausted. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he teaches them. And by verse 42, he's fed them, and we read, they all ate and were satisfied. Now get this. If Jesus, being God, shows us what God is like, well, here's what we see. Here's a God of genuine compassion and impressive resources, enough to care for and feed an entire crowd. And those 5,000 men with women and children who were probably there as well would have probably numbered 10,000 at least. And you might say as you read that, well, that's all very well. But that was 2,000 years ago. How does a feeding miracle help me with my busyness and my feelings of being over busy? How, how does it 
help me if I am someone who's becoming greedy? How does it help me with my anxiety? How does it help me with my, my feelings? I just need to be distracted from the things in life that are just not great. The mess of sin I so easily get into. Well, here's how it begins to help. This miracle gives a glimpse of Jesus' resources, but there's more to it. I just look at what Jesus does as he's about to feed them. Verse 41, if you've got it there in front of you, we hear these words. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute. You read those and you, you kind of think, well, it's obvious. He's he just giving thanks, breaking the bread, sharing it. But, but those words come once more in Mark's gospel, words almost exactly like that. When Jesus takes bread, gives thanks, and breaks it, giving it to his disciples, it comes in Mark 14. At the Last Supper, where the bread broken pictures Jesus' body broken on a cross, his infinite goodness given to fill our debt of sin, to set us free. And you begin to realize as you read Mark 6, this feeding miracle, like everything else in the Bible, is pointing towards that big rescue, the cross. And so when you get that in mind, when you begin to think about the overwhelming feelings of life and the way it pushes you in activity sometimes and the resources that you don't have and you begin to ask, is there a God who cares and would share his resources? The God of the Bible says, look at my son. In a single day, he cares for 10,000 and satisfies them all. Would you like a piece of him? Would you like this Jesus? Because his compassion will go all the way to the cross where he'll spend his infinite resources to save you. He can satisfy you so you can begin to live free from greed. If I've got everything I need in him, I don't need to be chasing other things. He can forgive you. So when the feelings come, am I good enough? You're able to say, do you know what? I know I'm not. But through Jesus, I'm all right. I'm saved, so I don't need to prove myself. And if he's faced up to the worst of our sin on the cross and come through the other side, then he has the resources to help you face up to things that you just want to be distracted from. Indiana Jones, in that film, stretching for what he just can't reach himself. And he hears a voice of someone who loves him and he manages to let it go. You read Mark 6 and it says to us, look, if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, then when he calls you in your busyness, remember the Sabbath or come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest, then you don't push back against him. Because at times he might be wanting to limit your activity, 
But it's not to hinder your freedom. It's to protect it. So trusting Jesus means we even have to surrender our time and our rest to him. That would be a good thing to pray, wouldn't it? I don't know how most of you feel about your busyness. Maybe you do feel over busy. Maybe life has become a stress for you because of it and you don't see a way out. Maybe tonight, here's the first move you need to make before you try and organize anything else, just to pray, dear Lord Jesus, please would you help me to trust you even with my time and my rest, not to push back against you, but to listen to what you say so that I move from greed, anxiety, distraction, whatever else it is. So what can we do? Well, here's the final thing just to think about tonight. Look, start to shape life to show you trust Jesus. If you were here this morning, you'll, you'll have heard me talk about this. Where I grew up in Glasgow, I lived in Homehead Road, and, and up the back of my house, here's a picture of it, I think, there was a, there was a hill, Rannan Hill. There it is. Um, you can see the gray, cloudy skies. That was probably a midsummer day in Glasgow where I grew up. Um, I lived at the bottom of the hill. Me and my pals, Gregor Cope, Scott Norman, uh, Johnny Sharp, we used to sometimes come to the top of the hill, and it, it doesn't look that steep there, but it was pretty steep. And for fun, when we were about eight years old or something like that, we used to think, let's peg it down the hill. Let's run down the hill and see if we can make it all the way to the bottom. Do you remember doing stuff like that? Um, You peg it down the hill and you remember the feeling, I'm no longer running this hill. This hill is running me. Do you remember that? When you run so fast, your legs have got going so fast and there comes a moment and it just occurs to you, I don't think I can stop my legs. They're just going now. This hill is running me, and it's slightly terrifying because you think at any moment, if I trip or hit something, I am flying and I'm going to crash, and it will be pretty unbearable. I remember those feelings running down the hill. I mean, it's fun and scary, but if it got too scary, what you can't see is partway down the hill, about halfway, Rannan Terrace went off to the side, and it was flat. And if you chickened out, as I did from time to time, you could turn off onto it. It was a runoff, and it was flat, and you could slow down. I said before, at the, end of the, at the end of the street was the witch's house that we used to call. So you wanted to make sure you stopped before you got anywhere near that. That's another story for another time. It wasn't really a witch's house, but we used to think of it. It looked quite scary. But you know that feeling? I'm running too fast, and I can't stop. You and me, we start running in life. And there comes that feeling when you realize life has started running us, even as we're trusting Jesus. And you and I need turn-offs in the week. I don't know how busy you feel. But here's some starters for recreation. Refreshing activities. Look, you and I, we're, we're different people. There's no, not a legalistic one-size-fits-all for work and rest. You, you need to think, look, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? What are the kind of things that will refresh me? Do I need time with people? Do I need time on my own? But we need to be able to stop and enjoy things. We're not just producers. You read through the beginning of the Bible, God, as he's creating, stops from time to time and says this repeated phrase, it was good, where where people not just made to produce, were made to stop and enjoy things. Plan time to do that and, and have some unplanned time. Look, here's one thing you can do in a week. God has made us, like him, relational. 
a good thing for us as a community to do in any week is sitting down to a meal with others and talking. Phones off, face to face. Those who are in busy families, you probably have meals like that all the time. It's one of the ways you can serve those who don't have a family. Invite them in, slowing down, talking with one another, enjoying a meal. It is interesting, isn't it? In the Old Testament, as God rescues his people, he feeds them together. As Jesus comes to bring the real rescue, he does the same thing. He takes his friends aside for a rest and he feeds them. Make time for nurturing relationships like that. And look, here's the second thing to think about just as we finish. Sunday worship. The idea of a Sabbath, it's not just an Old Testament law, it's a creation ordinance. The Bible says that you and I are to observe a Sabbath day with gathered worship. That's every week. We stop working to worship and remind ourselves it's not our activity that saves us. I reckon the hardest work that you will do in your week is not your paid employment. If you've got young children, it's not looking after those. It's trying to convince yourself you're okay. It's trying to prove to others that you've done enough. And it's exhausting that kind of work. As we gather to worship, we learn to rest from that. We confess our sin to God. We, we acknowledge before him we are not good enough. And then we hear God's words of assurance to us that through Jesus we are forgiven and made right with him. As we gather together, we listen to his gospel word and we get sent back into the week. We find the soul rest that we desperately need more than anything else. Like I know work works in different ways. Some of you work some Sundays. But generally, this is the time we need. Don't make Sundays like every other day of the week. Uh, you know, I've got young children. I've started thinking already about the day, perhaps, that Jamie and Jack go to university. It's a slightly terrifying day. We're miles away from it. I was saying earlier, I'm thinking about keeping them from learning to read properly so that they won't bother with education. They can just stay at home with me forever. That's the best thing to do with them. But given that they might do, I want them, if they do, when they're living away from us, when they go off to university somewhere else, I want them to make Sabbath rest and church a priority. And if I want them to do that, then, then I need to help them with it now. I'm trying to think, in our family, what do we do with our Sundays? Perhaps we don't make Sunday a regular homework day. There's more important things. One day they will sit exams, I'm sure, and as a father, I want them to do well. One day they'll stand before the judge of all the earth, and I want them to know what it means to rest in him and have him as their father. We have a compassionate Savior with infinite resources, and He calls us to learn to work and rest in Him. Well, let's pause to pray there. Let me leave you some time to think about these things, to think about uh, your working week and your busyness and what you might want to say to the Savior. And just have a moment to do that, and then Rachel is going to come.
and lead us.